Esther 4, beginning in verse 12, right? That's what's in. Okay, thank you. Hear now God's word. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent in this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young, men, I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Please pray with me. Lord, I have a, a simple request. I pray that you would come and that you would speak to your children, that you would provide guidance where it's needed, that you would provide healing and comfort where it's needed, and most of all, that you would provide the assurance that you are with us, both as a group but also individually. Lord, please bless the words that I say. Um, I pray that you would block out from anyone's mind anything that's not from you, um, and Lord, that at the end we'd, we would be able to give you praise and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. So, do you ever wonder why this book is in the Bible? It's a great story, fantastic story. But at least as I was thinking about it, um, I, I just wonder, okay, Lord, wh wh why do you put this story about a queen? Uh, okay, yes, your people were saved, um, but that happened in many other places at many other times, and yet you found this, this story so important uh, to replace it within your word. And then you also made a holiday after it, the holiday of Purim. What, so maybe we ask, Lord, wh what is it that we're supposed to get away from this story? Well, there's many things, and I, I heard Robbie's sermons um, that went through a lot of what Esther is about that were very encouraging, very challenging. Um, hopefully they were encouraging and challenging for you as well. But I, I want to at least leave you all with a sense of why God has given this book to you. What, what can this book provide for you as you try to follow Jesus? So here, let me give you a little, little bit of history. Esther was written in that time called the Second Temple Period, sometime in the 5th century BCE. And so this was a time when Israel had returned from exile. Remember that they were sent to Babylon because of their sin, that they were there for, I think, about 70 years, uh, and then they came, they came home. And so here they are back in their homeland and wondering, what do we do now? 
And then also, don't forget the 10 lost tribes of Israel who went to Assyria. They were exiled in Syria. And then they became known as the lost tribes because Assyria, part of their... um, Part of their process, their battle process, their uh, taking over land, conquering process, was that they would basically um, cross, uh, cross, I'm losing the word. Anyways, that they would would figure out a way for their, their Assyrians to combine with whoever, whatever indigenous group was there so that they would cross pollinate those people, and in the process, would destroy the identity of the people that they were taking over. So you maybe you even remember from the New Testament how the Samaritans were not well liked by the Jews. Well, the Ser- Samaritans were basically this combination of Assyrian Israel that came together at this time, so so that the identity of God's people were gone. So they were the lost tribes of Israel. And so you could probably imagine that in this second temple period, as the tribe, the two tribes of Judah, Judah and Benjamin come home to from Babylon, as the 10 lost tribes of Israel are somewhere, uh, sometimes they come home, but they're crossed with Assyrians. So this, this question begins to emerge. God, do your promises still apply to us? Or have we gone too far? Have we just sinned so much in our history that that now maybe you're just starting over? Because you see, when, when when the Israelites come back to the country, the, the promises that God had placed in front of them that had identified them as God's people had been destroyed. What were those things? Well, in, remember in the, maybe you remember in the book of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, there's Abraham who is the father of Israel. That's where it all began. And what does God say to him? Well, go to the land that I will show you, the promised land. And I will make you a great nation and make your name great. They come to a land that has been decimated and destroyed. And the people are now just two tribes. Their numbers have dwindled. Maybe this promise that God made to Abraham doesn't really apply anymore. Because remember also that God had promised Abraham that I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the, of the sky, as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. I don't think two tribes from 12 tribes counts as this sort of multiplication. And so that question, God, where are you? Well, what about the temple? If you know anything about the temple, the temple was God's home amongst his people. That was the place where God, came, where God dwelt. That's where sacrifices were made. He always had a, cons- a consistent presence amongst his people in this temple. Well, before they get back from Babylon, the temple has been destroyed. And so then there's the question, 
does that mean God's not there or here anymore? What are we going to do? So you have this divided country. You have the numbers of the people um, that have dwindled. You have the temple having been destroyed in 586 B.C. So you can probably begin to imagine that they're wondering, is this over? Have we gone too far? Has God just gotten tired with us and moved on? Because at least you could say it seems as if God is hiding from them. So you have this second temple period, which was a flurry of activity. Remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There was also the Essenes. There were the, the uh, groups in the Dead Seas. Um, all, of, all of these little groups that were running around trying to figure out, uh, are we God's people? Well, we need to recapture this. We need to do something. And you can see it with the Pharisees when they're with Jesus. They are so mad because Jesus seems to be standing against their law. And their law, in their minds, defined them. So it's a crazy time. This is a crazy time when Esther's book was written. And so I know in some of your sermons, because I, I did listen to Robbie's sermon. You give me a pat on the back. Um, one of the amazing features about the book of Esther is that God is not mentioned. There's no record that he has done anything. There is no sense in which you get from anybody that they are looking to God. God seems absent, absent. God seems hidden. And they're in a foreign land where there's no king, there's no temple. Esther herself, if you remember, has to hide her Jewish identity so she's not destroyed. And so then you have in this section of Esther, chapter 4, this guy Haman, the Agagite. Love that word, right? Um, and if you remember what Pastor Rob, Robbie was saying about the Agagites, this was a descendant of the Amalekite king Agag, Israel's bitter enemy for basically the history of their country. And so because Mordecai the Jew, if you remember, offended him by not bowing to him when he was passing him in the street, he decided, I am going to kill more, not only Mordecai, I, we are going to kill all of these people. We are going to get rid of all of the Jews. And so there was this period of weeping, gnashing, Mordecai in sackcloth and ashes, deep sorrow, desperate repentance. Wondering is it's all, if it's all over. And then you have Esther's fate. M Mordecai comes to her somewhat desperate. It's like, you, you need, you need to, to go say something to him. You, you need to go tell him that you can't do this, that Haman can't do this. You, you're not, it's, it's not a good idea for, for you to just sit here and not take advantage of the position that God has placed you in. We need you to go and appeal to the king not to kill the Jews. To which she says, as was common custom back in that time, that she said, well, if I, if I go to the king um, without him asking me, 
uh, I haven't been there for about 30 days, and, and he doesn't extend his scepter to me, then, then he's going to kill me. My, my future is in jeopardy here as well. And Mordecai says, basically, that, well, if you don't do something, uh, he's going to wipe out your, your, your father, and he's going to wipe you out, and God's going to have to do something else in order to deliver his people. And then she says those words that have lived in infamy and that we all know very well. Well, if I perish, I perish. Now, as a, as a person who has heard these words many times, I used to say and used to think to myself, maybe you have too, wow, those are magnificent, splendid words. Uh, I wish that someday, if I'm ever in that position, I could say those words too. She is so brave. What a hero that she is, which she was. But, but when we say that, when we have those kind of ruminating thoughts about what she says, at least I never really thought about the cost. That her saying, if I perish, I perish, means the end of her life, the end of her family's life, and ultimately the end of the Jewish nation. But as you know in the story, she succeeds, and God saves his people, and Haman is hung on the gallows for what he tried to do. Then there is this holiday that comes from it. I hate saying that, calling it a holiday, because it's so much more. We'll call it Holy Days of Purim, which is celebrated on the 14th and 15th days of Adar, a Jewish month in the spring, which was the 20th and the 21st of March this year. We should get that kind of knowledge today. So it's a day to remember, a historic anchor that they can hold on to in the midst of tumultuous times, in the midst of those moments where, as in this part of the story, it seems like God is not there. It seems as if God is hiding. Do any of you feel like that? Do any, do any of you feel as if God's not listening? As if you're praying to a wall? Maybe. And we can see this even in Jewish history. We know that Rome is coming soon, where they're going to continue to be oppressed. And that goes on through history. Then we get to World War II. There was these horrendous, seemingly hopeless circumstances where they are about to be destroyed. And what do they do? They recall moments. They recall in, the, in, the, um, in Purim and in Hanukkah and all of these other events, they recall moments where God was faithful even though it seemed like he wasn't there. We see in Mordecai and Esther, I think, a very particular faith. Where in, in, the, in the details and in, of the circumstances in which they were, th this was no place where they're saying, yeah, I believe in God. That's cool. Um, th this was 
we have to believe in God. We have to believe that he's going to do something. Or we are particularly on, on the, the threshold of being killed. Everything is at stake for them. And so you, maybe you can begin to imagine why God included Esther as part of the Tanakh, they called it, the Hebrew Bible. He was giving his people something that they can remember him by. Something where they can have faith that is created and that grows and that helps them, in spite of the circumstances that are in front of them, to believe that God is going to do something. He gives a particular faith in these moments. And as his people go through, they're always coming back to remembering Purim two days out of the year. They remember Hanukkah. They remember the Passover. They're always remembering God's faithfulness to them, regardless of the circumstances that are going on around them. You ever hear that verse in the New Testament? Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. And we see in this story and in other stories that follow how, how people like Mordecai and Esther are having this sort of assuring faith, e even though outwardly they have nothing to have faith in. But they have faith in a God who, at this point, just really doesn't seem to be there. But they have faith. And that what happens in that moment at the end of the story is that God shows up and God delivers his people. So maybe you can look at this and you can look, yeah, well, that story ended happily. Um, Israel was delivered. My, my story doesn't seem to be going well. It doesn't seem like it's going to end positively. So how can I take something from this story and, and find hope and find life and find God? Because that's what I need. And oftentimes, I know for me, in those moments, I feel so alone. And, and maybe you feel the same way. So alone. That there's no one there. There's no one who understands. There's no one that can deliver you, you think, from what you're struggling with. But I want, I want to remind you of someone else who's also in this book called the Bible. He comes in the New Testament. And it's, it's kind of interesting, or it's kind of cool, that in a beginning next Sunday, 
we're going to take a whole week to honor and remember this person. Tenebrae, oh, love that service, where you come on Good Friday and you kind of sit in and lament what happened to Jesus on that night. And so you and I, we wonder if we're all alone and what I put in, try to put in front of you is regardless of what you see, regardless of what's going on around you, you are not alone. Do you remember that moment on the cross where as he is dying, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and this was not a, he just felt abandoned. It, it, it's not that he just felt alone. He was alone as he was bearing the sinful, the sinful marks of all that had come before and that all that would come in after him. The presence of sin and brokenness and darkness that God, could, God the Father could not look on. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what I want you to know is that this Jesus never abandons his brothers and his sisters. That this Jesus, no, no matter how bad circumstances may get around you, this Jesus doesn't run away. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't say, all right, this is too much for me. You, you, as a believer, you can't sin too much. You can't struggle too much that's going to result in him walking away from you. He's always going to stay there. And he's always going to try and draw you in. And he knows whatever it is that you may be struggling with. The author of Hebrews 4 says this, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then kind of meekly and mildly and on our tiptoes and enter into God's presence. Is that what Hebrews says? You can say no. Oh, thank you. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Confidence. God, 
I don't know if you're there. I don't know what you're doing. You, you frustrate the heck out of me. But, but I come to you because you said I can come confidently. I can come through Jesus, and you will listen to me. Please listen to me. Please come and do whatever it is you may need him to do. And, and if you need further encouragement, go to the Psalms and read the Psalms of Lament and read some of the things that people have written in there, David as one of them, that there was this sense of confidence when, they, when you come into the presence of God that nothing I can do is going to push him away. <coughs> That he has saved me by grace alone. And the worst thing I can do is run. And the worst thing you can do is run. And so this verse in Hebrews invites you to come to him with all of your frustration, with all of your pains, with all of your anger, whatever it may be. Jesus invites you, come Come confidently. Because Jesus knows. He knows. Not intellectually. Well, he knows intellectually. But experientially. This is where he identifies with you. So, where's the value in the story of Esther? And why is it in our Bible? It's a reminder. It's a reminder that points us to our Savior. It's a reminder that whatever happens in this life, we know that we're going to, we are going to spend eternity with him. And so, as Paul often says, yeah, I'd rather leave and go be with him. I'd, I'd rather die is what he's saying and go be with Jesus. And, and that's what Jesus offers to you. And that's what Jesus offers through a story like Esther. That when you think God is hiding, when you think maybe he's gone because you've done something horribly wrong, that you come away understanding, no, he's there. Jesus himself said, I will never leave you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And that becomes our anchor of confidence. Let's pray. Lord, I've been struck this, this week by the mystery of your love, how incomprehensible it is, how you have overcome so much and have gone to such lengths to bring us close to you. 
And so we say thank you. We also ask that by your spirit you would come and you would give us confidence. That whatever we may be experiencing, whether it's horrible, sinful habits, maybe disasters that are going on in the places that we work, in the houses that, um, in the homes that we live in, whatever it may be that the evil one is trying to attack us, would you please help us to know that you are the safest person to come to um, in our time of need. And so, Lord, we also pray that you would come and be with us as we celebrate celebrate as we remember um, the death and the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior in the communion table. Be with us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So now, folks, you can go get your children from Kids Church. Looks like some of you already went. Um, And so please rise and stand. I don't have a copy of the liturgy. Thank you. I will read um, the light print. You can read the dark print together um, as we read this. The Lord be with you. And also also with with you. you. Lift up your hearts. We We lift lift them 